0: One of the heaviest burdens, I think, that a believing parent can bear comes when a son or daughter abandons a faith that they once professed. Um, it happens. And when it does, you sh- you're asking yourself, where did we go wrong? And you look at each other as, as mom and dad, and you're just like, what could we have done differently? Uh, and the what-ifs and all that never ends. The first question that I would want to address in that situation is this. Does your child truly have a faith that they're walking away from? I don't know if you've ever heard the statistics, but uh, about 85% of Christian evangelical teens walk away from their faith when they hit the college years. And I remember that used to always bother me. And uh, I just want to say from my experience in 37 years of youth ministry, um, I don't agree with that stat because they never had a faith to walk away from. Because if your faith is based on your youth ministry experience or going to church or your, your faith is based on a Sunday-Wednesday thing, and outside of that time you don't do anything with God, you really don't have a faith that you're walking away from. The second question I would say is, do you truly have a faith in Christ? The biggest thing that I've noticed in American Christianity is this false gospel, and, and really track with me here, because I might say something at first and you're like, whoa, well, wait, what are you talking about? But I think one of the most unbiblical things that we do is we get little kids to invite Jesus into their heart. And I'm just telling you right now, I could go to a camp and I could get every single kid to invite Jesus into their heart because I would just talk about hell, talk about what happens and scare them and then all of a sudden, and again, and I'm not saying that there are times I invited Jesus into my heart multiple times because I didn't know if it stuck. Um, I know the concept behind it, but track with me here. You don't want to go to the bad place, right? No. Okay, well then close your hands, close your eyes, say this prayer. Dear Jesus, please come in my heart or some variation of that. And then we look at that child and we're like, and now you're saved and now you're going to heaven. That was me. And my life didn't change. I never repented of my sins and I got through middle school and I realized I was just like every other kid in my school that doesn't name the name of Christ. And I radically got on my face before God between my eighth grade and freshman year and I truly repented. So that's the first question is, do you, as a parent, or does your child truly have a real faith? Um, Maybe someone told you that God has a wonderful plan and purpose for your life. Does God have a wonderful plan and purpose for your life? Absolutely, but it's not wonderful as we think is wonderful. You've tried everything else in life to make you happy and none of it has worked. Try Jesus. And literally, we, we tell them a false gospel that if you just try Jesus and have the spiritual experience and say this prayer, then all of a sudden, your life is great. And then what happens when the first really hard thing comes along in life? Well, if this is what it means to follow God, then forget about it. We had one young man stand up in youth group, and he literally said this. He said, I've tried a lot of things in my life, but now I'm trying Jesus. And so far, this Jesus thing is working for me. And I remember looking at my wife and talking afterwards and like, oh. And I can tell you that that young man only came for a couple of months and then whatever thing happened in his life and he was done because he was just trying Jesus as this puzzle piece instead of truly repenting. Todd Friel puts it this way. Becoming a Christian does not make life better. Becoming a Christian makes you acceptable to God. Therefore, we can endure rotten things with joy because our biggest problem has been solved if you are just happy you have your fire insurance and you don't have to go to hell you're probably not saved you're probably not saved it doesn't work that way let me read these verses to you in matthew and just so you know i'm a very visual oriented person but this session there's no visuals except for a couple video clips so you got to lock in okay matthew 7 21 through 23 the scariest verses in all the bible in my opinion Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, but Lord, Lord, didn't we do prophesy in your name and your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Notice that the people standing before God on judgment day are saying, Lord, Lord, They're acting as if they know God. And God says, I never knew you. If you remember nothing from today, I want you to remember this. The fact that you know Jesus Christ is not the most important thing in your life. You knowing Jesus Christ is not the most important thing. The most important thing is that Jesus Christ knows you. Huge difference there. Huge difference. God determines how we have a relationship with him, and that always involves repentance. And that's what's missing from American Christianity. I I have chances to speak all over the world to teens, and it is amazing to me how missionaries from China are praying for America because they're hearing how we're watering down the gospel, and they literally are raising up missionaries from China. One of the most anti-God governments on all the earth because they want to send their missionaries here because we preach a watered-down false gospel. Luke thirteen three. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Acts two thirty-eight. and Peter said to them, repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 17, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent. Let me give you a, uh, an example of this from marriage how foolish the notion is that believing that some mere magic words make all the difference. What if when my wife and I got married, and we stood before uh, the altar at People's Church in Beloit where we got married, and we exchanged vows, and we promised to love each other, and to honor each other, and to cherish each other. And then our pastor announces, you are now man and wife. But then after our ceremony, instead of going even on a honeymoon, and then moving into our new house in Janesville— I go back to an apartment, and she goes back to where she's living, and I decide that I don't want to live with my new wife. As a matter of fact, I think it's okay if I date other women. I go to online dating sites. I start setting up times to meet other girls. Each week, I go out with a different woman, and we come back to my apartment, and we have sex each time. And hey, I don't care if my wife has to say anything, because her opinions and directions are unimportant to me. I'm busy doing my own thing. As a matter of fact, I don't even bother to call her or talk to her. If she sends me something in the mail, sends me an email, sends me a Facebook message, I don't even read it. Now, even though I said those wonderful words at the altar and I ended with a very boisterous, I do, am I really married? Am I actually honoring the covenant that I made before God, before my wife, and before those witnesses. In the eyes of human law, the farce that my marriage is could easily be annulled because my marriage is a joke. I said the words, but my actions did not follow. So why do we deceive ourselves? Because we say some prayer and we say these words, but we don't follow it up with actions and true repentance. But that's what we do. If you are truly saved, there should be an incredible indication of that in your life. You should want to do the will of your Heavenly Father. You should wake up each day and like, God, you died for me. How can I live for you? 1 John 2.4, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. John 10.27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. If you have truly been adopted into God's family, there will be evidence of that in your life. Think of what we play at with our Christianity. We come on a Sunday, we literally check off, I did the God thing, and then on Monday we go back to our jobs, we go back to our schools, or whatever it is that we do, and we don't act any differently. We take our Christian mask off, we put it in our backpack, or we hide it, until Wednesday comes or next Sunday comes, and then we put it back, hello, brother, hello, sister. But the rest of the week, we live as if we are not part of God's family. If the Bible is true, and it is, our lives should look radically different than the world. Let me read you a Facebook post from a Christian team. Christian team. Today has been an amazing day so far. I did great on my math test this morning. I laughed my ASS off at lunch telling dirty jokes with Jenna and Brittany, and I'm looking forward to small groups at church this evening. It will be a perfect ending to a perfect day. And I think to myself, do you not see the disconnect here? And this is worse than normal because she literally had to type it out, reread it again, and then send it, and it didn't bother her that she's sending conflicting messages. And before you and I are like, oh, I can't believe she did that. We do that all the time in our daily lives. Matthew 7, 16 through 20 says this. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus by your fruit, you will recognize them. And John 15, 8 says, this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So that's my question. Do you consistently show good fruit in your life? If you don't, you are probably not saved. Don't be mad at me for saying that. Be mad at Jesus, because when he was asked, how can you tell who my disciples are, he talked about how they follow him and they have fruit in their life. And now you might say, whoa, you are preaching a works-based gospel. No, I'm not. There's a huge difference here. Good works don't get you to heaven. Christ alone and what he did on the cross does that. But good works are evidence that you are heading to heaven. Big difference. Now, I am not saying that we don't mess up. I know this whole weekend is convicting. It's convicting for me as I preach this. I, I did a, a parenting seminar at our own church yesterday, and some of the other stuff that I watched with other people convicted me to my core. So we're all in the same boat. I'm not saying we have to live perfect lives. But if I was to sit down, if you're a teenager, and I went to your school, and I sat at lunch with your group of friends, and I looked at them, and I said, so what, what's so-and-so really like? what would they say? Would they talk about how good you are at sports? Would they talk about, you know, you're good at music? Or would they talk about this or that? Would any part of the conversation be, oh, they're a religious freak, which take that as a badge of honor? Oh, they talk about God a lot. What are you really like? Same with us as adults. What are we really like on our Monday through Saturday? Let me put it this way. If our country made Christianity illegal, practice and you were arrested for practicing Christianity and lawyers started looking into your life and they started gathering evidence in most situations you don't want evidence to be found so you can get off and not have to face punishment but if your life was put on trial would they say guilty Christ follower or would they say I'm sorry we don't have a case They say they're a Christian, but we looked at the evidence and they're not living for Jesus Christ. Who are we when the church and Christian stuff is taken away? Really focus in on this. You take away this seminar. You take away your Sunday mornings. You take away your Sunday nights and you take away your Wednesdays. All the things that you are at with other people. In that other time in your life, do you spend time with God? Have you opened up his love letter to you? Have you spent time going before the very throne of God? What an honor and privilege that is. And we don't do it. And our Bibles collect dust. If you don't do anything with God outside of your normal church times, you're not saved. Just like the farce my marriage would be if I said the words but did not do the actions. And the reason this is so hard is because it costs us something. It costs you something to be a follower of Christ. I wanted to start with that before we get into the other things because teenagers are smart. And if you claim the name of Christ and they watch how you act in church and then they see how you act when no one else is around and then you're upset that they're falling away from their faith, give me a break. It starts with us. first video that I'm going to show you is from a movie called Hope Floats.
1: Because I want a divorce bird.
0: Are you guys recognizing it back there at all? I'm guessing not. Not seeing it? Okay. Do you see my desktop at all? Okay. I'm going to unplug and plug in the HDMI cord again.
1: I'm on a divorce burden.
2: I'm going with my daddy.
1: Bernice, what do you think you're doing?
2: I'm going with you.
1: Honey, that's impossible.
2: But I'm going with you.
1: No, you got to stay here with your mama. Bertie, you gonna help me out here?
0: You told me you wanted me with you, remember?
1: Listen, honey, I've got to go. Now, don't do this to yourself, okay? Don't make a scene. Now go on back inside. Go ahead. Stop it, Daddy! Bernice, you know I'd take you with me if I could. You can! Try to understand, baby. Connie and I, we need this time to ourselves to try to make a go of it. Then I'll come back for you. I promise, I no. promise, I promise. Now, go on inside, please.
2: You want me. You wrote in the letter. Please, let me in. You want me.
1: I'll always want you, Bernice. You're my little princess. No. But your mama, she needs you.
2: No.
1: And you need her. No, I, I love you, princess. Me. I gotta go.
2: No. Oh no! no!
0: showed that to you for a reason, because I remember the first time I saw that clip, it tore my heart out. But I will tell you, in doing 37 years of youth ministry, I have seen this kind of stuff play out over and over. And so who's responsible for the spiritual education of your children? We've seen a lot of hurting kids. At had a kid who started himself on fire dealing with the pain that was in his life. A young lady who sat in our living room and just shook with sobs as she told us that she does not want to go home because her house is a battlefield. Another young person who stayed until eleven PM after our small groups at our house and said, Can I just live with you guys? Can I just live with you? A young man who shared this with his with his peers during a Bible study at our house. I hate divorce. I hate it with every fiber of my being. My life is a mess because my parents hate each other. They always use me to get at the other one. I can't cope anymore. A timid junior high girl who questioned everything she knew about God as her heavenly father when her earthly father sexually abused her sister. A young lady who was made fun of at her Christian home because she was trying to live out her faith for all to see. And she told me the biggest problem I have is my own parents and my own siblings who say they're Christians and they mock me relentlessly for living out my faith. And a young man who heard his dad say that he was tired of fighting and he was leaving the family and this young man has lived out all of his childhood and now into his adult life hearing the words in his mind, my dad said I wasn't worth fighting for. Dads, if I will speak directly to you right now, it is time to man up and be who God has called us to be. If America continues on its present course, it will be known as the nation of founding fathers with no fathers to be found. Over the years, I've had parents call me up and say, I need you to talk to my kid. My son is really messed up now and he needs to start living for God. So I want him to talk to you. I've never had a meeting go well with that. In fact, now I don't even have those meetings because that kid does not want to be there. The parents have made decision after decision for years, and now they bring their kid to somebody in youth ministry and say, fix my kid in one hour. That's not how it works. It is not my job. It is not any of your pastor's job to be the spiritual leader of your kid's. That is your job, dads, and your job, moms. And you might say, well, then what do they pay you for? What do they pay you to be a youth pastor? I have a job because dads like me and you have failed in our job of what we're supposed to do in our families. Youth ministry, I believe, is a little unbiblical. I still do it, and I love doing it. And I have a lot of kids who their parents don't come to church at all, and they just come to youth group stuff. But I'm telling you right now, it's not my job. Your job is to raise your kids spiritually. Here's what God's word says. In Deuteronomy 6, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you so that you may enjoy long life. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength and soul. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Deuteronomy 4. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. In Proverbs 4, Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forget my teaching, for I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. And then he taught me, and he said to me, Take hold of the words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. The scriptures make it very clear that parents, especially us as fathers, are assigned the role of recounting to their children the acts of God. Isaiah 38, the living, they praise you. As I am doing today, parents tell their children about your faithfulness. And then 2 Timothy 3:14 through 17 But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from who you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through uh, through faith in Christ Jesus. And then Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. God has ordained the family unit as the number one discipleship program in the universe. And dads, it starts with us. The most powerful force on earth, again, is a godly man who marries a godly woman and raises their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Why is it so hard to do that? Because Satan comes after you, relentless, like banshees screaming like demons after your marriage and after your family and after your kids. This is a spiritual battle, and we are running into battle with our underwear on. No armor, no sword of the Spirit, because we don't even have a relationship with Christ, or we have one and we have been letting it be neglected. Moms and dads, I don't care what you've accomplished in your life. I don't care what other people say about you outside of your home. I don't care if you become a billionaire. I don't care if you become world famous. If you fail with your marriage and your kids, then you failed at what God has commanded us to do, commanded us to do. Our children come to Christ many times through the family. If I did a raise of hands, it's my guess that most of you would say, I first heard the gospel in my own home. That's how important it is. Here's, the, here's what I see happening, though. Over and over, this plays out. A young lady in youth group, on fire for God. All of a sudden, some young man who is not on fire for God starts to give her attention, and she loves it. And she likes how that feels. And she says to herself, I know I shouldn't date him, because he is not a believer in Christ, and I'm not to be unequally yoked, and that doesn't just go for marriage. It goes for your dating, because dating should lead to marriage. We tell our teens all the time, you should not be dating someone unless it's someone you think you can marry. Doesn't mean you're going to end up marrying them, but if you want to have some, uh, not fun, very sarcastic, if you want to have an interesting conversation, ask your teens what they see in high school or middle school every day of the horrible breakups of casual dating. Because when you start dating in middle school, Do you know where that's going to lead to? How far can I go physically before I break up? It's not leading to marriage. The longer you wait to have a serious dating relationship, the more trouble and heartache you keep yourself from. Now, it does work out at times. I dated my wife all through high school uh, from freshman year on. But she is the only woman I've ever dated, the only woman I've ever kissed, and the only woman I've ever had sex with. God knew that I needed her in my life at that time, and we had a five-year friendship before we got married. But this young girl gets all this attention and she knows, but then in her head she says, you know what, if I just have him keep coming to church, then maybe he'll become a Christian. Not once in 37 years have I ever seen a Christian and a non-Christian start a dating relationship and the Christian pulled the non-Christian over to the side of God. Not even once. Maybe it's happened before. I'm just telling you my experience has never happened. Every single time the non-Christian who doesn't have anything to do with God and is pretending at that so they can get at the girl, pulls that other person to them. And then they start to go too far physically, and she feels so guilty. The guy doesn't feel any guilt, because this is what he wants to do. And then that young lady is put in a position and being pressured into things, and eventually they have sex, and eventually they get married, and then here's the scenario that plays out. He starts to come to church after they first get married, and then he doesn't go to church, and they argue all the time. What does light have to do with darkness? And then finally, they start having kids, and the wife pleads with him and begs him, please, at least let's take our kids to church. And so he agrees to that. They start to take their kids to church. And then month goes by and year goes by, and all of a sudden, dad starts to make excuses. He wants to go golfing. He wants to do this and that. And the oldest child sees that, and he's like, what's the deal, mom? How come dad gets to stay home? Well, I want to stay home with dad. And there's a huge fight And then the next oldest child follows the same pattern. And then that poor mom is sitting in the back row at church on Sunday sobbing because she's saying, how did this happen? Can I save you a lot of pain and heartache? Young ladies here, if the man that you're going to date and eventually marry does not love Jesus Christ more than he loves you, dump him as fast as you can. If his heart isn't chasing after God, he has no business chasing after your heart. That's how important this is, dads. Since we are commanded to be the spiritual leaders of our home, the the ruler of the universe has given us a command, a direct order, and we are committing high treason. And if you aren't tracking with me so far, look at our culture right now. Everything is about attacking marriage, attacking families, making dads look like fools in sitcoms. It's all about destroying families all about destroying families. It doesn't matter what you say to your kids if you aren't modeling your faith in front of your kids. More is caught than is taught. More is caught than is taught. If children do not come face-to-face with God in every aspect of their lives, then we as parents are to blame for bringing them up in an ungodly. How do we do this? Number one, develop a passionate relationship with the universe, or with the God of the universe. Develop a passionate relationship with him. Notice in Deuteronomy 6 when we talked about that, it's enlightening to me that before God commands parents to diligently teach their children, children he first instructs them to be passionate about him. It comes down from the parents. The foundation of both a great marriage and successful parenting is to love the Lord supremely above every other love. When's the last time you read your Bible? It's God's love letter to us. I go travel in other countries and they are imprisoned for having a Bible. They literally smuggle in a piece of scripture and they memorize it and then they eat it so that they're not killed. And then at night, instead of sleeping, they huddle around and say, what have you memorized? What have you?" And the only scripture they have is what they've put in their hearts. And we sit there and we have a Bible at our fingertips and we don't read it. How dare we treat God in this way? When's the last time you prayed for your kids? My two older boys have been married now this last year. I prayed for their future spouses every week for their first 20-some years of their life. I didn't know these young ladies, but I prayed for them, and I prayed that they would be on fire for God, and I prayed that God would do amazing things in their life, and that not that my kids only would live for the Lord, but their future spouses would live for the Lord. And I can tell you, the two that I have already, my daughter-in-laws, are on fire for God, and they're coming alongside my sons in a powerful way. Work on your marriage. A strong marriage adds stability to their lives. Be on the same page. There's nothing worse than not being on the same page. When my boys were little and they say, can we do this? And I'd say, what did mom say? She said, no. And what is dad going to say? No. We just thought we'd try. You know? And eventually they stopped that. Once they know you're not on the same page, oh, are they going to use that? Be on the same page. Protect your children in a culture that is infiltrated with humanistic thought, sexual immorality, ungodly media, pedophiles, false teachers, just name just a few take responsibility for protecting your children. Now I'm going to hit some pretty I'm going to step on a lot of toes. Does your child have their own computer and is that computer in their own bedroom? and are they on that computer with the door closed? if that is the scenario in your family, you are playing with fire. That computer is a doorway to darkness. Now, this is coming from someone who has websites for being an author and photography and all that. I love the internet, but I'm so glad I didn't grow up with the internet. It would be like when I was a kid, if my dad took a Playboy magazine, opened it up to the centerfold, put it on the kitchen table, and said, son, I don't want you looking at that and then just left it there. It wouldn't take me more than two or three passes passing that kitchen table with no one else around before I looked at that and continued to look at that. Computers and smartphones and Xboxes and Playstations and smart TVs, one or two clicks away, and the most horrendous things will be in the face of your kid. If you want to see some ministry that really hits the, where the rubber hits the road, try and deal with a 12-year-old 12-year-old who is hooked on pornography already. If you don't have the password to your kid's computer, you are playing with fire. I remember a mom like, oh, I got to give my kids privacy. I, I mean, I'm not going to like look at their phones. I'm like, like, woman, are you crazy? Do you understand this? This is not about privacy. Sure. With, is that going to be an inconvenience for your teen and all that? Absolutely. But I'm telling you right now, if they know that you know what they're looking at. Do you have a filter on your computers? We have a filter in our home that not only keeps you from going places that you shouldn't go, but it also tells on you. And if you have a filter, the wife in the family is the only one that should have the password so that she's the only one who can change any of the settings. And she's the only one who could delete anything because a good filter will not only stop you from where you shouldn't be going, but it also sends an email to the mom of the family that says this is where they tried to go. And then through that filter, you literally can check everything that they clicked on, every video they watched, every, everywhere they went. If you aren't doing that, you are playing with fire. Cell phones. I got my first smartphone just this last year. I had a flip phone for 12 years and I loved it. And you know why? Because I didn't have any internet on it. I couldn't be checking emails when I'm supposed to be home with my family. I'll get one more thing done. But it was also because I did not want to have that access to that darkness. I had to get a smartphone because they don't sell flip phones hardly anymore. But my flip phone has a filter on it. Another thing. My oldest son when he was 17 years old was when he got his first cell phone. My next oldest son got it at 16 and a half, and my youngest son got it at 16. Wasn't it a little bit of an inconvenience? Yes, and I, I get it. Having your teens out somewhere and having them text you and all that, I get it, but I'm just telling you right now, if you haven't seen what has happened to this generation of doing this, four teenagers at Taco Bell all on their phones not talking to each other and then I find out they're texting each other and laughing, and then every once in a while, that was a good one. It's crazy. We, are, we, are, we have a whole generation now that isn't comfortable having a face to face relationship with people. And again, these are decisions you and your, your spouse have to make, but I'm just telling you the, the longer your kid waits until they get a cell phone, the better off they are. Do you monitor what they watch? Do you monitor what movies they go to? Do you monitor what they watch on TV? As a Christian parent, you should never go see a movie or let your kids see a movie until you go to a website called PluggedIn.com. PluggedIn.com. It's run by Focus on the Family, and you look up a movie, and it will tell you everything that's in that movie. They don't give you spoilers, but they'll say, what kind of language is in this? And if there's 15 F words, it'll tell you 15 F words. What's sexuality content? It'll tell you if there's nudity, it'll tell you what sexual situations are there. And I'm telling you right now, If you don't monitor that, because what was PG when we were growing up is no longer PG. What was rated X is now R. And what was, or what was rated, uh, yeah, I mean, you get the picture on that. Look at these and and monitor that. Let me, because I was too afraid to. That's how bad it was nine years ago. If you aren't monitoring what your kids are watching, they start down that path, you have a mess on your hands. I've hit you pretty hard. I've hit myself pretty hard. Let me give you some encouragement in some of these discouraging situations. All of us fail as parents. Every single one of us. I sat through a seminar yesterday in which I was just a breakout speaker, and I'm telling you, the sessions that I listened cut me to my core as I realized some things that I have failed at as a dad. It's never too late. Never too late. Story of Judas. Think about this. Judas walked with Jesus for three years. He saw the greatest life that's ever been lived up close and personal, and he was discipled by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and Judas walked away. With his own ears, he heard the finest teaching. With his own eyes, he saw the clearest evidence. In his own life, he had the best example, and yet he still walked away. Those things can't change a human heart your kid, my kid, have a will of their own, and they will make their own decisions no matter how right you do this. And that's why you pray, and you pray. The truth is that a child sometimes rebels against God despite his parents' best efforts. And so if you say, have I failed as a parent? The answer is yes, all of us do, because the Bible tells us all have sinned and fall short of the No perfect Christian home exists. No perfect dad exists. No perfect mom exists. No perfect kid exists. Consider Adam and Eve. They were raised by the perfect father in the perfect home environment, and they met with temptation, and given the choice, they rebelled against God. Regardless of how good your upbringing may be, there are still going to be times when our children choose darkness rather than light couple stories of transformation. Peter. Peter denied the faith he had professed with venom. Like Judas, he walked into great darkness, but his story has a better outcome. Peter was restored. Christ is able to restore your son or daughter if they've walked away from their faith. No matter if they've been out of your house for decades, you go into your prayer closets and you relentlessly bring them before the throne of God. But what if your son or daughter never had a genuine faith? What if it was a false conversion or never confessed faith at all? Then you find hope in the story of Paul. Saul of Tarsus, walking along the road to Damascus, he was full of rage and anger towards Christianity. He despised the gospel and was breathing fire and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. I don't think any of our kids have that kind of hostility towards God. Maybe they do, but probably not. That's an intense hostility. But one thing is certain, Saul was not seeking faith in Christ. The idea of becoming a follower of Jesus would have been repugnant to him. But then a risen Jesus stopped him in his tracks and put him on his backside and became real to him. Saul, who hated Christians, became Paul, the apostle. So I want to lay that foundation for you. I will end up with couple of things here before we watch one last video. I have a bunch of resources out on that table. One thing that I find in youth ministry and as parents, don't you dare shy away from the tough topics. What are the tough topics right now? You ask any teenager who goes to a public school, and they'll tell you that every week they are faced with the abortion issue. Every week they are faced with same-sex attraction or the transgender issue. And every week they are faced with creation evolution issue. This idea that we are all evolutionary accidents, that we're animals, and then we, are we really surprised when our culture acts the way we do? Because from kindergarten through doctorate's degree, you are taught there is no God, that there is no accountability, that when you die, you become worm food, and so do whatever you want. And so I've got videos back there on abortion. There's one called Seven Reasons. It's done by a man named Ray Comfort. If you've ever looked up his ministry, it's called livingwaters.com. Look him up on YouTube. He is fantastic. And they go out on the street and they ask people, what would be a good reason for getting an abortion? And there's seven main reasons. And then they destroy those arguments and you watch as those people literally change their minds about abortion in just a few minutes. And then Ray Comfort never, it's not about abortion, it's about the gospel. And then he takes them through gospel presentation. It is amazing. If you are dealing with same-sex attraction, either in your family or your friends of of your kids, in his image dot movie. In his image dot movie. The greatest thing I have ever seen that deals with the same-sex attraction and the whole transgender movement from a biblical perspective. Uh, It's absolutely amazing. And then on the creation evolution example, um, I have a seminar that I do that is eight sessions long. I've got DVDs out there for those of you who still have DVD players. If you would like to get that, it's only $10. If you would like it on computer video files, put your email address down and I will email the the Google Drive folder to you and you can use them for wherever you want because what your kids are taught in school is the opposite. Literally, we send our kids to the Canaanite school. Can you imagine the Israelites saying, you know what, Uh, we're going to send our kids to the Canaanites for eight hours a day and then at the end of the day, we're going to try and undo the the brainwashing that has been done. I'm not coming against public schools, but I'm just telling you right now, if a parent in my youth group comes up and says, should I send my kid to public school? I say for the first time now, I would say I I wouldn't. I wouldn't. If you're in that situation where it has to be, I get it. I am not in any way judging you. I grew up in public schools and I'm fine. Um, (laughs) No, I grew up in public schools and I viewed my public school as a mission field. And so if you've got kids that view that as a mission field, then you equip them and do that. I'll leave you with this. My oldest son, Caleb, writes songs and uh, writes his own music and writes songs. And he wrote a song called Somebody Has to Start. And I love this song because it's my heart's cry for you right now that if you have not been living for the Lord in your own life, it's time to start. If you have not been a good husband or wife, it's time to start. Somebody has to stand up in the gap for this next generation. So we'll watch this and I'll close us in prayer.
2: Weary from this fight, I feel the taint. It's part of me. My expectations of this life are shattered and broken like pottery. The soldiers we looked up to have given in to compromise murky gray lines, the things that were once considered grievous sins, were justified and labeled alright. So bleeding in our souls, we take a stand, this generation won't fall without our say. Another step down is all it takes. We say that's enough, our time is now. We won't be quiet, we won't back down. We're not ashamed, not afraid to lift our heads and shout. Protect the weak, because it's right, spoke the truth. Because it's right, lead the way. No one else does, somebody has to start. The journey. I won't take it. I won't back down. The devil won't be the one who wears blood and dirt on our feet. We march, hoping it hasn't gone too far. That's enough, our time is now We won't be quiet, we won't back down We're not ashamed, we're not afraid To lift our heads and shout Protect the weak, because it's right Expose the truth, because it's right Lead the way, and no one else does Somebody has to stop To heal his land when the lion comes fury inside We have to take a stand, we have to take a stand Protect the Weak Expose the truth Cause it's right because it's right there's blood on Because it's right, expose the truth Because it's right, lead the way For no one else does, somebody has to start Protect the weak Because it's right, expose the truth Because it's right, lead the way no one
0: else does, somebody has to start It's you and I. doesn't matter what you've done Today's the day. Dear Lord, I just time? pray
2: that we would just take this seriously, um, that we would just take this conviction that oh, you've given us, Lord, point. this morning and just use it to shape our world for the better. Lord, I pray that we would just fall in love with you and your word, um, that every moment we would just use... to.
0: It doesn't matter how we've messed up, we still have time. Number the days that you have left with your kids, and if your kids have left and maybe you're even a grandparent, there's no better time to start than now. Heavenly Father... I just thank you so much for this opportunity to just share my heart and what we have seen in youth ministry for so many years, Lord. And so, Lord, I do pray that they were convicted. I pray you would convict me. And Lord, I pray that you would raise up some amazing dads out of this group, even future dads, raise up some amazing moms who don't care what the world says, Lord, but they just care about what you say. And so, Lord, I pray that you will, that there are some history makers and world changers here. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.